0: All right. How's everybody doing at home? Everybody hanging out? Everybody chilling? Everybody in their PJs probably? Maybe their green PJs, right? Just so you people know, I just want to make it very clear right now, I bought this shirt for today because it's green, it's awesome, and I look very stylish on camera. Kudos to my wife, big ups for that right now, okay? Well, I just want to give a big warm welcome to everybody who is watching us on the live stream right now and to everybody who's tuning in, whether it's through YouTube or through Facebook or through some other means right now. But I just want to give you a big shout out and a big warm welcome. And another thing that I kind of want to do right now is that despite the circumstances, I want to give a big shout of praise and amen to God because he's given people the ideas that have allowed us to, one, still worship, still pray, still meet, and still hear God's word together as a Christ Fellowship family, even though we are not physically with one another. So I just want to give a big shout out of praise to the Lord for that. And the second thing that I think is probably the most important thing that I want to do right now is, if you're home right now, sitting next to a loved one, a family member, whoever it is, whether it's in your dining room, in your living room, or in your den, or in your office, or whatever, I just want you to do two things. I want you to give them a quick high five, just like that, and I want you to tell them that today is Palm Sunday, all right? Now, after you've done that, I want you to do it a second time, and this time when you do it, I want you to do it with a little more spice, a little more seasoning on it, and I want you to do like, today is Palm Sunday, yo, because today, I'm not sure if you can notice it or not, it's not the coffee that I had, it's not the Red Bull that I drank before I walked up on stage, it's not any of those things. I'm just really super excited about today, because today marks one of the most historic moments in Christianity, where Jesus mounts on a donkey that has never been ridden before, more on that later, and makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This moment was huge. This moment was big. This was something that the people had never seen before at all. And the triumphal entry is part of something that's bigger. There's it's it's something that's called Passion Week. And there's three things, three major acts that happen during Passion Week. There's little things that are sprinkled in between that, but the three major things are the triumphal entry. Good Friday, and the biggest one of all, Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. But today, what we're going to be talking about is the beginning, the first act, the triumphal entry. We're going to be talking about the details of that event, the people that were there, and their expectation, their idea of what they thought Jesus would do, because you see, the people there that were around Jesus that had surrounded him, even his disciples, they had an idea in their mind. They had an expectation. They had a plan of what Jesus was going to do the moment he entered in through the gates of Jerusalem. And I'm just going to give you a little hint, a little sprinkle of what that plan is. You see, as much as they thought that Jesus was the Messiah, they also thought that he was going to be this revolutionary political warrior that was set to free them from the captivity that Rome had over them. And if he wasn't going to win it through a political debate or through words or through a message of some sort, he was going to free them with the sword. And he was going to take the throne of Jerusalem. But little did they know that Jesus had other plans in mind. And when their plans didn't go the way that they wanted it to, when their plans didn't unfold, didn't unravel according to their expectations, a whole slew of emotions surrounded them, and a whole bunch of uncertainty and a whole bunch of doubt started creeping into the people. And we are just like them. Because when things don't go according to our plan, when things don't unfold the way that we want them to, when things don't unravel the way that we expect them to, we feel the same exact way. We have uncertainty, and we have doubt. If you're anything like anyone who has ever existed, think about that. I'll say it again. If you're anything like anyone who has ever existed, you have made plans. You have. Whether you made them when you were young, whether you made them when you were a little bit older, or maybe you're making them right now in a different stage of life, the point is is that you have made plans. And if you're somebody who's watching right now and you're saying, well, Eddie, I don't really make plans. I'm just a go-with-the-flow-with-it type of person. Well, guess what? You plan to be that way. So whether you're somebody who makes plans for everything, or you're a go-with-the-flow-with-it type of person, or you're somebody who's kind of just in between, the point is you have made plans. And no matter how big or how small the plans may be, plans always have requirements. They do. One of the requirements is this. It's time. Plans take time. They take time to think about, they take time to execute, they take time to sit down and plot all the details from A to Z of how this is going to happen in our lives. Plans also take effort and discipline because we have to sit there and make sure that we're putting forth our best ideas, the best possible things that we can put forth. It requires effort. Another thing that plans require, they require communication. Who do I have to talk to, who has to talk to me, who do I have to email or text or send a post to in order to get these plans off the ground, or in order to get to the next step of the plan. Plans also require scheduling and delegation, because if you don't schedule, you may be too far ahead too soon, or you may fall too far behind too late. Sometimes they require the delegation that I just mentioned. Who else needs to be involved? Who else do I need to delegate things to in order to get this plan off the ground? Plans require patience. You have to wait for the right moment to strike. Sometimes plans, believe it or not, require a whole bunch of questions, and they require a whole bunch of details I'm just going to give you a quick example. It's not a personal one by any means whatsoever. But, you know, whenever you have a dinner of like 200 guests or more, and, you know, there's centerpieces and cups and napkins with letters on them for whatever reason, and somebody is so concerned about the detail of how the parsley is supposed to be placed on top of the chicken, and it needs to be facing north to northwest because if it doesn't, then it doesn't look right. I don't know. I'm just saying. It's not personal experience. But plans require a lot they require a lot of investment and the bigger the plan the bigger the investment and when things don't go according to plan the way that we thought that they're supposed to turn out whew, man i was watching a movie not too long ago uh, it's called Dodgeball. It's uh, one of my favorite movies. It's a really funny movie. And the character in it, his name is Vince Vaughn. Um, his, well, his actual name in the movie is called Le Fleur. But, you yeah, know, right? <laughs> it's called Le Fleur, right? And in this character, uh, Le Fleur, he's this gym owner. But he's this really lazy, laxadaisical, laid-back, disheveled-looking type of character. He gives you the impression that automatically he does not care. And he doesn't. And his gym is being bought out literally by the gym that's across the street. So the people that are, so the gym that's across the street, they send, they send to his gym a bank representative because they want him to get audited. So that way he knows that he can't afford the gym anymore, and he has to give it up, right? So the bank representative, when she arrives, she goes up to Vince Vaughn and she's like, hey, listen, I need everything. I need bank statements. I need credit card statements. I need all the transactions between your employees. I need all the transactions between the people that are in the gym. She needs the whole nine of everything. And he looks at her and he smirks and he points to a closet. And he's like, all the information you need is, is over there somewhere. And when she opens up the closet, there is a mountain of paperwork that is disorganized, not in alphabetical order or anything, from the bottom of the floor to the top of the ceiling. And she turns to him and she looks at him and she says, like, really? Like, like this is really what it's all about? I have a question for you. Do you really not have any goals in life? And he looks at her and he says this. I have found out That if you have goals in life, you might not reach them. But if you don't have any goals in life, you'll never be disappointed. (laughs) Really? And as hilarious as that scene was, there's a little bit of truth in it. When the goals, excuse me, when the goals that we have in our lives don't work out, When the plans that we make for our own lives don't work out the way that we want them to, we can get disappointed. We can get disappointed in ourselves because those plans aren't being brought to fruition. We can get disappointed in others who were part of the plan that maybe dropped the ball. Or it could be vice versa. Other people can get disappointed in us because we didn't do our part. And disappointment can lead us down a path that we probably don't want to be on. It leads to so many things. Disappointment can lead to frustration. And that frustration can lead to anger. Not just maybe towards yourself, but maybe towards the other person. Man, why didn't things work out? They should have worked out. But why didn't they? Man, it's probably your fault it's probably my fault i know maybe i wasn't smart enough to get it done man (sighs) another thing that disappointment can lead to it can lead to insecurity maybe i wasn't good enough to get that done maybe i wasn't smart enough maybe i wasn't fast enough maybe i wasn't quick-witted enough Maybe I didn't have the finances in place. What is wrong with me? Man. Disappointment can also lead to confusion. I don't understand this. Wait a minute, hold on. I crossed all my T's. I've dotted all my I's. I made contingency plans. If this goes this way, then this is what we're going to do. If this goes this way, then this is what we're going to do. And for some odd reason, none of those things happened. Everything was looking like it was supposed to go according to plan. Why didn't it work out? Something's not right here. I don't understand any of this. And there's confusion on top of frustration, on top of anger. One of the other things that it can lead to is bitterness and resentment towards people that were working with you on the plan. And if they're close friends and colleagues that joined with you on this adventure, now there's tension in that relationship. Because now you're happy and they can't be happy. And now there's this unspoken elephant in the room that nobody wants to address and that nobody wants to talk to. And now the relationship is affected. And the last thing that it could probably lead to, there's many others, but the last thing that it could lead to is depression. I put all my eggs in this one basket there is no plan B. There is no plan B. This is it. And if I don't know what's going to happen now, then I definitely don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. When we take a look around at what's happening in the world right now, I'm not sure if you see it. Maybe you've been a part of it. I think everybody's a part of it. I don't think anybody is excluded, honestly. There are a whole bunch of plans right now not going according to plan. There isn't. There's not. There are weddings that are getting delayed. There are birthday parties getting canceled. There are vacations being put on hold. There are flights not taking off. There are businesses that just opened up their doors that are now having to close their doors because the plans are not going according to plan. There are sports venues that are being canceled. There are loved ones who weren't supposed to get sick at all are unfortunately now getting sick but that wasn't part of the plan. There are school plays not playing. There are careers that aren't starting. There are people unable to graduate because of what's happening right now. Everybody's plans are going all over the place because nothing is going according to plan. But we aren't the only ones who have experienced something not going according to their plan. We aren't. During Jesus' triumphal entry, remember as I said in the beginning, the people had in mind one thing, but Jesus had in mind something else. And now we're going to talk about Jesus' triumphal entry. Matthew. Matthew. 21. We're going to spend all of our time here in Matthew 21, starting at verse 1. As they, now I want to just give you a little bit of context of what they and who they actually were. A lot of times when we read a lot of Jesus's um, history, a lot of the things that happened to him, we think about just Jesus and the 12 disciples and maybe a little crowd, um, you know, that was there. But when they say they, I'm talking about Jesus, his disciples, and a whole bunch of other people that were there with him. Because you see, right before this event happened, right before Jesus' triumphal entry, John even quotes it a little bit. He talks about the miraculous sign. And the miraculous sign was Lazarus. Lazarus, a few weeks ago, maybe even close to a few days ago, had just been resurrected from the dead after literally being dead three days. It wasn't like he died, Jesus showed up two seconds later, boom, and now he's alive. No, Lazarus was dead, buried for three days, and Jesus came and brought him back to life. And before that, Jesus had a procession of people that would normally follow him, but after that After bringing back Lazarus, word spread like wildfire, and everybody was following Jesus at that time. There was not one person in the region, except for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that didn't know about what Jesus was doing and how he was operating and where he was going and where he was going to be. It's kind of like your favorite artist, like, oh, hey, listen, they just showed up here, and now you're going to tweet it, and then everybody shows up at one time. That's what happened, but it wasn't a tweet. It was like a dove. So when they say as they approach Jerusalem you have to picture thousands of people probably following Jesus not just him and his disciples. So as they continuing on with verse 1. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives Jesus sent two disciples saying to them go to the village ahead of you And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Now, I just, it's not part of my notes at all. It's really not. I just want to just gloss over the fact that Jesus knew where a donkey would be in a town way ahead of him. That's like me telling, you know, my wife, hey, listen, go down the parkway to Trenton. There's going to be a cat tied to a tree, color blue. Pick it up and bring it back home. That's, that's impossible. It, I, I wouldn't be able to do that, right? But Jesus was able to because he was Jesus. Now, the donkey, right? <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, now, the donkey holds a special significance. Jesus could have asked for any animal. He could have asked for a horse. He could have asked for a camel. He could have asked for a lion to ride in on into the gates of Jerusalem. But no, he asked for a donkey. And the donkey is an animal that is symbolic of peace, of humility, and of Davidic royalty. That's what the donkey represented Peace, humility, and Davidic royalty. In the people's mind, they thought Jesus was coming to start something. But Jesus is coming in peace and in humility and in Davidic royalty. Had Jesus rode in on a horse, had he rode in on a horse, it would have meant something completely different. Because riding in on a horse with a whole crowd of people behind you was a sign of war. But Jesus didn't ride in on a horse. He rode in on a donkey. He was letting the people know that he comes in peace and that he comes in humility. Now in the book of Matthew, he puts in this little extra excerpt that kind of only seems a little bit out of place, but it's really not. In verse 4, he puts this in there. It says, This took place to fulfill What was spoken through the prophet, the prophet being Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, if you're curious. And that prophet, Zechariah, prophesied many, many, many generations ago. He said this, say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you and gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. It's almost like, hey, listen, just so you know, this was supposed to happen. This was supposed to happen. Continuing on in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Now, I want everybody to say, now, I want you to think about this. The whole crowd is there. Back then in that culture, many people knew a whole bunch of prophecies about who the Messiah was going to be. Especially this one. Now, in this moment when Jesus mounts on the donkey, I want everybody right now at home say this moment. This moment right now. The moment that Jesus sat down on that donkey, all the people there would have been immediately reminded about the prophecy of Zechariah. They would have been immediately reminded about it. And a lot of them who were about 99.9% sure that he was the Messiah, all of a sudden are now 110% sure that he definitely is. There is no question. This is something that has never been seen before. This is something that has never been done before. And Jesus is now doing it. And he is now fulfilling the word of God right before their very eyes. These people, this crowd right now, they are a part of history. 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 There was no question, absolutely none. And the people were so overjoyed. They were so excited because they realized what this means. They realized what this symbolizes. And look what they did right after that. In verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them out on the road. The cloaks being spread out on the road was a symbol of royalty. Not only are you the Messiah, but you are the king. And the donkey that you are riding on right now is so, excuse me, and the donkey that you are riding on right now is holy because you are holy, and we don't want that donkey to step on the regular dirt. So we're going to put our cloaks down so the hooves of that donkey don't touch the dirt. They touch our cloak. And they did it all the way down, laying down cloaks, laying down cloaks, laying down cloaks, laying down palm branches, laying down palm branches, waving palm branches, all the way from the Mount of Olives to the gates of Jerusalem. And the branches that they cut were palm branches. And palm branches have a special meaning. Back in that day, back in that culture, back in that time, when Israel went to war and they had victory and they won, palm branches would be waved as a sign of victory. Palm branches would be waved. During the parade procession, as they were all coming back from war, palm branches would be waved and palm branches would be tossed at the feet of the people who were coming in. It was a sign of victory. By the crowd waving their palm branches in the air and placing them on the road that Jesus was traveling on, they were proclaiming Jesus' victory ahead of time. Excuse me. Ahead of time. He hadn't even done anything yet except for mount on top of a donkey. And remember, their plans, their ideas, their expectation of what he was going to do, they were waving victory for that already. And he hadn't even done anything there yet. And Jesus would give them victory. But not the victory that they had in mind. Continuing on, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They were screaming this. They were shouting this. The people that were ahead laying palm branches and cloaks were saying it in front of him. The people behind him were also shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and screaming it and yelling it for a whole world to hear. And the word Hosanna comes from a very old psalm, Psalm 118, if you're curious. And it means save us. It means save us. If you want to dig a little bit deeper than that into the original Greek and the Hebrew and a whole bunch of exegesis, it means salvation. They were screaming, shouting to Jesus, save us, save us. I wonder how many people right now, all across the world, even here, maybe your neighbors, maybe you, Because of what's happening right now, you're saying, save us. Save us, Jesus. Save them, save her. Save us. They were shouting it. They were screaming it. They made such a noise, such a noise, that in verse 10, look what happens. When Jesus entered jerusalem the whole city was stirred the whole city everybody say in your house right now with the person sitting next to you the whole city was stirred the whole city and i wonder i wonder when was the last time that we were so loud and so boisterous and so expressive about jesus that the whole city was stirred When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and the people asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And I can just imagine the people right now. Jesus is in the gates. He's in Jerusalem. He is on the donkey. Everybody realizes the prophecy. Everybody realizes what they've just seen. And they're sitting there and they're screaming, Hosanna, and yelling and waving palm branches in victory in the middle of Jerusalem. And everybody is wondering who's this? Who's this person? And they tell them, and then they're waving branches and screaming. And then all of a sudden I'm wondering if the people that are there are like this. Okay. He's in Jerusalem now. What is he, what is Jesus going to do now? What is, what is Jesus' next move? Right after he dismounts that donkey, what, what is he going to do? Is he going to engage into a political debate with some of the Roman people that are here? Is he going to, is he going to try and find the throne room? Is he going to overthrow Rome right now at this very moment? What is he going to do? What is Jesus' next move? Thankfully, we don't have to wait that long. In verse 12, it tells us what Jesus' next move is. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. In other words, this is not what this is supposed to be. This is not what this was supposed to be. And after the dust settles and this whole event is over, Jesus gets to work in verse 14 the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them while he was healing them shouts of hosanna as the scriptures say can be heard in the background By children running around and screaming and yelling and shouting Hosanna Hosanna to Jesus and then Jesus does something unprecedented he does something that nobody would expect he does something that is kind of out of character out of their idea out of what they expected him to do he gets up and he leaves he leaves the city and he spends the night in Bethany. Jesus, wait, Jesus, where where are you going? the The throne room is this way. Do, do you not know where? Do you not know where it's at? It's it's over here. No, you, oh, you're not. That that's the gate to Bethany. That yeah, you go out through the, that's that's Bethany. No, but the throne room you're, you're not going that way. You're not not okay. All right, to, what? You're, tomorrow you're, you'll see us tomorrow. Okay. Okay, you'll ask about Rome. Oh, yeah, hey, Jesus, I'm not sure if you noticed this or not, but the Romans, yeah, they're, they're still here. Are you going to do anything about, no? Wait, what? Huh? T- t- tomorrow. We'll see him tomorrow. He'll be here tomorrow. We'll talk. We'll chill. He'll probably do it then, right? Yeah, he'll, he'll do it then? Yeah, right? Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, he'll probably do, Yeah, tomorrow. He'll do it tomorrow. Jesus' whole time in Jerusalem that week is spent teaching, prophesying, telling parables, and spending time with his disciples. Not once does he ever head to the throne room. Not once does he ever get into a political debate with Romans. Not once does he ever lift the sword. If anything, he tells his disciples to put theirs down. And after a lot of unease about Jesus being there, and after a lot of frustration about certain things not going their way according to how they thought it was going to happen, and after 30 pieces of silver, shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, turned into chance of crucify him, crucify him. But little did they know, little did they know, this was Jesus' plan. This was his plan. And his plan far exceeded their plan. His plan was ages, ages, insurmountable, way better. I can't even describe it. It was way better than what they had planned. And I can just imagine Jesus. Rewinding back in my own head sometimes, I do this, I don't know why, it just happens. I can imagine Jesus going back to the top of the Mount of Olives, sitting on top of the donkey, while everybody's waving, Hosanna, Hosanna, and waving their palm trees, and calling out the name, and calling out victory, and laying their cloaks, and as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, I can imagine maybe him saying this to himself, or maybe under his breath. They want me to sit on the throne of Jerusalem but I want to sit on the throne of their hearts. They want me to free them from Rome, but I want to free them from sin. They want God's kingdom to come down here in this place exclusively just for them, but I want the kingdom of God to be everywhere and all-inclusive for everyone. They don't understand it. Not yet. But they will. And I'm here to tell you something right now. I know things may look grim. I know some things in your life haven't gone according to your plan. I know that because of the things that are happening outside and all over the world, some of you have had have a change of plan. Certain things may not be going your way. But I'm here to tell you right now that Jesus has a better plan. There's something better that he has planned for your life currently than what's happening out there right now. Jesus' plans, your plans are good. Don't get me wrong, they're not bad plans, but his plans are better. They're way better. And I don't know about you, but right now when I take a look at what's happening, I see things differently. I'm not sure if you do, but sometimes I do. Right now, I have never seen anybody or anyone want to be closer to other people ever the relationship level back then there was so much disconnection back then that the relationships were down here but now for some odd reason everybody wants to hang around with each other because they can't there's social distancing in place six feet you can't hang out with me you can't give me a high five you can't give me a hug i've never seen people want to give high fives and hugs more than i've ever seen in my entire life It's almost as if the relationship level has been elevated above all other things. It's almost as if Jesus is giving importance back to relationships. It's almost as if he's showing us that, listen, social media is okay. Instagram is great. TikTok is fine. All those things are good. But listen, nothing beats a real high five. Nothing beats a real hug. Nothing beats us really hanging out with each other. Nothing can beat that. Some other things that may be happening right now that I'm not sure if you noticed, but maybe I've noticed them, maybe you have it, but I just want to put it out there. Families are spending more time together. Families are spending more time together. Bucket list items are getting checked off. Books that were not supposed to get written are now being written. House projects that have been put on hold are now getting that check mark. Songs, new songs, are now being created, which otherwise, under any other circumstances, would have never been made. Paintings are being painted. Families are taking walks around the block, and they're enjoying each other's company. Relationships and bonds between father and son, son and father, mother and daughter, daughter and mother, vice versa, husband and wife, all of those bonds. The opportunity is there to spend more time and to strengthen that relationship. There's more time to spend with God. There's more time to be in prayer. There's more time to be in worship. There's more time. And I know it may not be going according to your plan. But I can't help but have the feeling that God's plans are better. There are a whole bunch of things that are happening right now that are allowing people to have a second chance. Especially in the realm of marriage. There are some marriages that were supposed to end, but they can't now. Because courthouses are closed. Maybe that's God telling you, hey, this can work out. If you put faith and if you put trust in me, this can work out. They're closed for a reason. Now you're kind of, you got to talk it out. Now you don't have a lawyer to talk for you. There's more time. And I know that right now, here today, we're supposed to be singing Hosanna in the highest because God has given us victory, and he has. But let me tell you something right now. God has given us so much victory, not just in the past, not just in the present, but for in the future. And when we wave our palms in the air, we're waving them not just because of what he did, but we're going to be waving them in the air because of what he's done and because of what he's going to do. Now, I don't know about you, but after all this is over, after all this is said and done, I can guarantee you that the church of God, his house is going to be packed with people hugging, singing, praising, waving palm branches in the air, laying down the the the, the, the cloaks for Jesus because he has given the complete and total utter victory over this situation. And because even though things didn't go according to your plan, they're going according to his plan and his plan is better. And I can, I'm telling you right now, when that day comes, because it will. When that day comes, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. So much praise is going to be shouted. The walls are going to rattle. The foundation of the world is going to shake in a way that has never been shook before. I miss you guys from the bottom of my heart I do I miss every single one of you a lot of you who may know me or who do know me know that I was in the military and that I was deployed into Iraq but what a lot of you don't know is that before that I was terrified call it cowardice call it whatever you want I didn't want to go. There was so much that was happening in my life at that time. I was married, maybe a few months removed from being married. Me and Jen, I think we had like a few months. I think it was like maybe three or four months. And I had gotten the call. And I said, Eddie, your number's up. You're going. And I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I was married with my wife I was involved in in so much ministry I was doing God's work I was doing what I thought I should have been doing and going to Iraq would have disrupted all of that it would have disrupted my plans I had everything in place I had all my ducks in a row I had everything that was supposed to happen from there for the next 10 years I had a plan and this deployment would have ruined it. And I remember I couldn't get out of it. And I remember being on the C-130. We landed in this base called Al-Assad. And you could hear the mortar rounds going off in the background. And I was scared. You could hear it gunfire. I didn't want to shoot anybody because of what I believed in. I thought I was against it. And I remember they put us into this truck called an NRAP, and we drove five minutes. And after five minutes, I looked out the window, and there was this huge barricade of walls. And we drove through that gate. And after we drove five minutes more, there was another huge barricade of cement walls, and we drove through that one. And you couldn't hear the mortar rounds anymore. And then last but not least, we drove through the final gate, and... After we got there, we unloaded, and I was pulled to the side by one of my commanders, and he said, hey, Eddie, just so you know, you're not going to be working with them. We need you in the office with radio communication and data entry and all this other stuff. And I remember getting a care package from Jen. It had all these, like, really cool things, notes, you know, little snacks and stuff like that. And I remember going to the cafeteria, the chow hall, thinking I was going to have really nasty, disgusting marine food. But when I walked in, there was steak, there was shrimp, there was lobster, it was Burger King, they had an espresso machine, there was ice cream. I stopped getting care packages after that, actually, because I told Jen about it. I was there for maybe a whole year, I think, and not once did I ever have to pick up my gun, not once did I go outside the wire, not once did I ever have to engage the enemy. And when I came back, I came back with this thing that they call veteran status. And veteran status opened up a plethora of doors. It opened up a plethora of doors that I would not have been able to open up on my own. No possible way at all. Not even close. I couldn't have done it. But because those doors were opened up because of God's plan, I am where I am today because of that. Because even though my plans were good, my plans were okay. I had all my ducks in a row. Everything seemed to work out perfectly. But God's plans were better. Way better. Way better. And right now at this moment, I know things may not be going according to your plan. But I'm challenging you right now to have some faith, to put some trust, to have some belief in knowing that just like the people back then, 2,000 years ago during Jesus' triumphant entry, just like they had a certain idea of what they thought Jesus was going to do, but it turned out to not be theirs, it turned out to be his, and his was better. I'm challenging you right now to believe and trust And have some faith that God's plans for you right now in your circumstances are better. Because at the end of all this, you're going to look back and smile. And say, yeah. Yeah, they were. Jesus, we thank you so much for today, God. We thank you so much for what you did 2,000 years ago, my God, during the triumphal entry, my God, we thank you, my Lord, for not going according to their expectations, my God, for not going according to their ideas, my Lord, for not going according to their plan, my God, but for executing your plan, my Lord. And I pray right now over everybody who is watching, my God, and everybody that is here, and everybody who will listen to this message, my God, I pray over them, my God, that they would receive you, my God, That they would trust in you, my God. That they would believe in what it is that you have planned for their life, my God. And if they look at the current circumstances right now, that they would even smirk and smile a little bit, my Lord. Because they they would know that you have better plans, my God. That your plans are better, my Lord. So I pray that over every single person here, my Lord, that they would receive that, that they would trust in that, and that they would follow what it is that you have planned for their life, my God, that there would be no resistance, my God, that there would be no doubt, my God, that there would be no insecurity, my God, that you would strengthen them, my Lord, in their faith, that you would strengthen them in their security, my God, that you would strengthen them in their confidence right now, my Lord, in what it is that you have planned for their lives, my Lord. And if you're somebody who has never known Jesus, you can take that step. You can take that step to choose to believe in him and who he is and who the word of God says he is. And then choose to trust in his plans. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless, and I'll see you soon, I guarantee it.